Hello and welcome back to another episode of her Gypsy Soul podcast, The Stories That Bind Us. My name is Jacqueline Van Dirk. I am your host. I am a singer, songwriter, artist. I love having conversations with people and I started this podcast to bring people together through storytelling. I had a band called Otto's Daughter and we've had some really awesome, amazing years and I talked about bringing some of my old members on and share some funny stories. Um, so I'm so enlightened and happy to have finally had the chance to speak to one of my favorite people from my artist daughter days and still a good friend of mine. Uh, he was my bass player and also a really good friend of mine. He still is a really good friend of mine. With no further ado, here's Sebastian. Hello, Sebastian. Jacqueline, how are you? How are you doing? I'm all right. <laughs> I know, it's been a minute or two. <laughs> I know. I know, when was the last time we saw each other? I think I saw you in Santa Monica when my mom visited. Oh, that's right. It was just so weird because usually I see you in LA for ASCAP and we do all sorts of damage. But yeah, I was in Santa Monica for a weekend and then I heard, Sebastian. <laughs> <laughs> it's so like, so weird. And then of course, Nikki was like, why does that happen everywhere you go? Because <laughs> <laughs> you're famous. You're kind of famous, you know? No, I just know people every in every city. <laughs> I know. But we, you know, we know people in places. <laughs> right. Being a gypsy, you get know, to know all over the place. Yes, yes. Oh my God. So I wanted to talk to you and I'm sure we need to have more than one episode because we can't fit everything in one episode, you know, <laughs> there's just so, so much to talk about. But I wanted to talk about like how you started joining Otto's daughter, which is like so long ago. And because there's so many funny stories. And um, and then your journey, I also want to talk about your, your business, which is like so awesome, you know, where you've come, what you've done, your regular job and, you know, paying all your dues. And now you're being totally independent and doing your thing, which is like so inspiring and so amazing. And I'm so proud of you. I think, you know, you, you've always been such a, focused person and 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 really just doing your thing you know Ooh. really love that all right let's start from the beginning so how did i don't quite remember i know we put out an ad but like how did we how did we initially met i know you came with a package you came with james with your james yeah it was kind of he made a conditional i didn't care <laughs> oh my yes we have to talk about that, that was so yeah so I was writing for a paper on Long Island and I had seen Otto's daughter and I knew you were looking for somebody for a bass player. And I forget if you were looking for a guitar player too, but I answered the ad and um, shit, it's, that's, it was 2000. It was 20 years ago already. <laughs> I can't even. Like, I know. It's, it's unbelievable. We were both, yeah. we started really young. We were five years old when we had, when we started the band, yeah. That's right. <laughs> I, I forget if I, if I knew the songs ahead of time or I just came and jammed everything because I know when I had already joined the band, we were looking for new members. They got all the songs in advance and most nobody showed up knowing anything. But I know I came in and I don't know if it was my look or if I could play or whatever, or if we just busted each other's balls enough that we got along. <laughs> I remember like, I, 
I liked you right away. There was something there. We were like just kind of having fun and, and you seemed like really cool. But you came with James, your friend James. Um, and that was such a funny story. <laughs> James, you, you and James like, yeah, it's my friend James in case you need a guitarist. And James, like, I'll never forget that he puts his, he takes his shirt off, <laughs> puts his earplugs in and plays so freaking loud. I'm like, I can't hear anything. And he's like, huh? What? He's like, no, just put earplugs in, you know? I'm like, no, I don't do earplugs. <laughs> yeah. He's that like, I can't his... leave my shirt on. <laughs> yeah, that was his thing. It was, you know, I need the sound to be so loud so I could feel it, but I need the earplugs so I don't kill myself. But kill everybody else around me. <laughs> oh my yes. God. That, yeah, so we were like, Sebastian, you can come back, but please leave your friend. <laughs> <laughs> and that worked out because he hated the band. He just <laughs> liked working on the one song he got to play on. And that's about it. <laughs> he was like, these people are fucking nuts. I don't like that style of music. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing. It's in New Jersey. You're in Brooklyn. It's insane. <laughs> oh, my God. That was so funny. So when you joined, it was just me, Gadget, and Cedric, right? Um, no, it's just, just the three of us. Just the three of us, yeah. Yes. And I... I don't even know Cedric. <laughs> you don't? No. Wait, that is so weird. So that yeah. was, okay. So I remember you had this one weird guitar player who looked like he was on, he was all doped up all the time whenever I saw you play. Um, and then- Oh my God, the guy with the, the shorter guy, he looked like a biker? Yeah, I think so. Um, huh? No, a blonde huh? dude, a skinny blonde dude. Oh my God, Jeffrey. Jeffrey, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you were out for Jeffrey? I, was, I, didn't, Jeffrey? <laughs> I didn't play with Jeffrey. Oh, God. I saw Jeffrey play and I guess James came by because you were replacing Jeffrey and the bass player. So instead of finishing uh, getting a guitar player, we actually went, me, you and Gadget went right into recording the record. We didn't start gigging. I joined the band, me and you and Gadget played guitar. Then we got um, James played guitar on one song. Then Timmy Rockmore played on a song. Timmy, yes, I love Timmy. And then we found James, Jim, Jim and Dan. But Jim, I think finished the record, but not Dan. Yeah, yeah. The Dan star, oh my yes. God. <laughs> There's so many stories about Dan. <laughs> Jeffrey, holy shit. So you were not around when Jeffrey played that show with us and he got I was at that show, but I didn't play the show. <laughs> you were at that show at at the the uh what was that place called? Downtime? Yes. I was at I saw I was at the show at Downtime. I was at the Webster Hall show. Oh my yeah. god, Jeffrey. I was a big fan of the band before I joined. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, Jeffrey was like this crazy dude who was like a drug addict and an alcoholic. And yes. I caught him drinking during rehearsal. And I'm like, Jeffrey, you know, you probably he because he started out really friendly and 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 focused and clear and playing good. And then it got worse, right? And Hamid and I would look at each other like, what the fuck is going on? You know? And then I saw him drinking. I'm like, dude, like maybe you don't want to get trapped. He's like, what? He was like making this big fuzz and fight about it. I'm like, dude, I just saw you. Why are you lying? Like, why would you lie about it? You know? 
And then he almost got us banned out of like so many clubs because he would like bring liquor into clubs and mm -hmm. just be a total jerk, you know? And he was trashed like, on stage one time I saw you. When yeah. we threw him out, that, that was like, we threw him off the stage in at downtime. Yes. <laughs> because he just, we weren't ready yet. And he was like, fuck this and just started playing. And he just started playing random things. And and Hamid and I looked at each other, we were like, get the bouncer. And then... <laughs> I think I was Russell was a bass player at the time. Russell with with the oh yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and and he was like get this guy off the stage and then <laughs> he got thrown off the stage at downtime and that was like one of those moments where I'm like oh shit what are we gonna do are we just gonna like not play now because we don't have guitars mm -hmm. and then we went that smart we didn't have that on the backing tracks we learned right we learned that was. <laughs> that was great because yeah, when I joined Hamid, whenever we we programmed a song, just in case somebody can't make it, we're programming your parts. Yeah. <laughs> we have to fire somebody for programming the parts. <laughs> At some point, everybody was re replaceable, I, except I guess me because we, had, we didn't have all the vocals on it. But it was yeah, we're like fuck that. We're just gonna have bass on the, in the background and some extra drums and some guitars just in case it happens again. But it mm -hmm. ended up being a pretty cool show. Everybody was like. Couldn't believe what happened. <laughs> Man. So when we first started playing, so you did a lot of mother shows with us then, right? Yes. I did the, a lot of the mother shows. We did a lot of downtime shows. Then we started playing out of state a lot. Yeah, yeah. You know, one thing I regret is we should have toured way more. You know, mm -hmm. we didn't do that enough at the time. Yeah, well, it was hard because, you know, we were we were a weekend touring band and even so, like a lot of um, my my coworkers at my day job were surprised because they're like, dude, you look so dead. What happened? Oh, I just got in from from D.C. You went to D.C. to play. I'm like, it's a work day. I'm like, I got to do my music. This is just a job. <laughs> music is the real thing. <laughs> so I'd like sleep half the day at the office. <laughs> <laughs> we get back from dc at like six or seven in the morning and then i go to work it's nine in the morning <laughs> those are good times we played like all the goth scenes the goth clubs wasn't it amazing i kind of miss like mothers because that was just such a you know like it was so exclusive like mm -hmm. i like that you know yeah yeah I, I i on the instagram i follow um sean and miss guy from the toilet boys you know, and they weren't part of the mother scene being all in the punk rock thing, you know, but we did gig with them in in Jersey a bunch. And um, I got to know those guys a little bit. But yeah, like um, a lot of that scene is looks like it's starting to bubble up again in New York. Like Michael T is starting to do some stuff again. Nice. Uh, Mistress Formica. A lot of that, you know, the alternative scene that went away is starting to come back a little bit, which is really cool. Yeah. You know, I feel so lucky because we got to play CBGBs. We got to play all those freaking amazing places that are not even there anymore. CBGBs, yeah. the Continental, Webster Hall. Wait, Webster Hall is still there, right? I think. It's under a new name again. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Mothers. I mean, that was one of my favorite places to play because it had an inside crowd, like a built-in crowd. So we didn't have to like sell tickets and stuff like that. Right. Just like, actually, we, we didn't have to do that anywhere in New York. That was like a Los yeah. Angeles thing. Yeah, that was cool. Because like, yeah, New York was, you either got a guarantee or part of cut of the door. Simple enough. You, and 
the, I, I don't know about the gigs we played, but the gigs I did with other bands, we didn't have to deal with how many people came to see your band. How many, it was just like the CBGB's gigs. There was 500 people here tonight. Each band gets paid equally. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's how it should be. And, you know, cause I think club promoters should promote. They don't really promote. They call themselves promoters, but they want the band to do all of that, you know, which is, yeah. it's a lot like of work. After, after you had moved to LA, I had moved, continued on with, uh, with a band called Atomic Brother with James yeah. and, um, and New York started turning into LA. You know, we were doing some gigs and nobody'd show up and and we get yelled at. And we're like, well, what did you do to promote? We gave you flyers. Okay, well, you gave me flyers, which I handed out, but where's your ad in the paper? Where's your street team? Where's your this? Yeah, yeah. Where's your marketing? Yeah. That's not my job. I'm a promoter. Like yeah. your name is promoter. Your job yeah. is to promote. <laughs> It's, it's pathetic. It's yeah. ridiculous. It's you know, like Chris Mack is still doing it and he seriously promotes. He's a promoter who puts on shows and he promotes his shows. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I miss, I miss those New York days, you know, mm -hmm. that was a lot of fun. And we were like the, probably one of the few bands in New York who would like show up with like a whole light, light lightning rig and like <laughs> our, our, remember our box we had? Oh yeah. Light box. People were like, what the hell are you guys doing? What do you think you're playing? Madison Square Garden? What was it? Like we played, um, ah, that was one of Jim's favorite places. Uh, oh God, where was that? Somewhere like near near uh, Houston. I don't remember. What was your favorite place where you played with us? Like your, your favorite memories like that? I mean, there's so many, oh my God. Um, well, I have a most memorable one and every time, uh, I, 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 it comes up every year, this memory of playing, but, um, but my, my favorite place playing with Otto's daughter was probably downtime. Um, I love playing downtime, but the most memorable was that not new year's Eve when we played with Voltaire. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there were so many reasons why that was memorable, but him getting all prissy and saying, get the fuck out of my dressing room or whatever his attitude was, we're like, there's only one dressing room, we all got to share it. And he drew a hissy fit at us. <laughs> we're like- Oh, I don't remember oh. that. Oh yeah, you were, you were in the middle of getting your makeup on and you're like, I don't have time to deal with this. And then, so me and Jim, had to take care of it and, and, and gadget and yeah he went to, he was like swearing up and down and so he went out and got somebody from cbs and they were like sorry nothing we can do and this is their dressing room until they go on stage <laughs> wow oh yeah that and he plays here twice a year and every time he's here people are like do you want to go see voltaire i'm like no sorry <laughs> <laughs> not my bag <laughs> <laughs> Did you play with us when, when Funk Evoke played? Yes. Because that was an amazing show. Remember that? Yeah. That was, that was, that was a cool one. And uh, Convergence, when we played with Snog oh, yeah. at Irving Plaza. Was that when we... Oh, it was the Icon of Coil. One of those. Coil. We blew up on the first song. We played Stuck. 
and we had our pyros, mm -hmm. right? And we blew out the power and we were like, oh, like, but we were always smart because we rehearsed without, just in case we don't have a sampler, we kind of knew how to play without it, but it was still, because that song was so driven by that mm -hmm. sampler, I was like, shit. Yeah, that's one of the things that I really liked about um, Otto's Daughter. So I'm a real stickler, as you know, about rehearsals <laughs> and making sure everybody knows their parts. And if something falls apart, you can keep on going. And when we hooked up, I was like, oh my God, these guys are pros. You know, everybody brings extra cables, extra, extra power adapters, every, everybody's ready for contingency. And then we rehearsed with the samples, without the samples, yeah. you know, and, and earlier, before I met you, I was judging, judging a, um, um, a battle of the bands and a band shows up and none of the guys have their cables. And one guy forgot his, his amp, like, and he comes up to me and he doesn't know I was a judge. And he's like, dude, you got a cable I can borrow? And my, my guitar player needs an amp. Oh like, my God. Like, wow, that's terrible, man. Sorry, I'm not playing. Oh, sorry, I thought you were in a band. I'm like, no, I'm a judge. He was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> we're going to lose, aren't we? I'm like, well, this doesn't give you a lot of good points. <laughs> oh, man. It's, I mean, you can't make that shit up with musicians sometimes, you know? I mean, we witnessed, like, I don't know when you were around, for, and I, I have so many holes in my memory, which makes no sense because I never made, did drugs or anything like that. But <laughs> I remember like there, there were like people coming to our auditions. I'm like, you didn't learn this song at all. Or like people that walk in and say, um, so I had a better idea for that song. <laughs> I was just thinking about that guy. <laughs> and he hands us the charts. He says, I rewrote these songs. Here's the music. <laughs> Next. <laughs> You're good, but you could be better, and I, I'm gonna help you. <laughs> right. Holy <clears throat> shit! You cannot make that up. You know, like you could write a book about that because like some <laughs> people, the balls they had, you know. Yeah. I don't think he went around for that. There was like one guy that came to our audition, and he he was like, "Just so you guys know, sometimes my hands get numb." He was a guitarist. <laughs> I'm like, wait, you auditioning to be a guitar player, and you tell me your hands get numb sometimes, like. <laughs> yeah, there's some days I can't play. <clears throat> you guys don't care, right? If that happens, can you just put it on your backing tracks and then I'll just look good? <laughs> oh my God. You know, I also really loved when we did our acoustic, we did a bunch of acoustics things. Mm -hmm. You and I, you know? Yeah. And that was like at, at the gallery, what was it called? The gallery, right? Like the- The, the CB's gallery? Yeah, CB's gallery. That was always kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, oh. I, I, I'm, I've been thinking of starting an acoustic thing, but you know, cause I don't like acoustic music. I, th I think it's boring. I know. And, but when it's arranged and played properly, you know, it's it can be really cool and interesting, you know, like um, Nick Cave does, and you know, with the piano and guitars and stuff. But <clears throat> yeah, that was fun. Yeah, I remember. So the other cool thing that happened during your Otto's daughter days, mm -hmm. your girlfriend Nikki. I will never forget that we played at Connections in in mm -hmm. 
Clifton, New Jersey. Yeah. And Sebastian is like, oh, I kind of like that girl at the bar. <laughs> and we're like, well, go talk to her, give her your number. <laughs> and you ended up doing that. And oh, I ended up doing that because you were like, hey, so my bass player over there likes you. <laughs> <laughs> But 20 years later, you're still together. Yeah, we're still together. Yeah. And you still talk. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy, right? Oh, we're yeah. happily unmarried. <laughs> How awesome is that, though? Mm -hmm. You it's know? crazy. I was just thinking about that um, today, um, how I met Nikki in a bar. And then I was chatting with another friend at, the, at our store who I met in a bar. And then I was chatting with Rena who I met in a bar. I'm like, half of the people I know, everybody says, you can't meet people in a bar. They can't be friends. You can't be real friends with them. And like virtually everybody I know that I'm friends with for like long lasting relationships are people I met in bars. <laughs> How amazing is that? Yeah, it's crazy. Totally I insane. That. I love that. But also it's a personality. Because mm -hmm. you know, you're not a yeah, It's not about the bar. It's about the the quality of the person you meet in a bar. Sure, yeah. you're going to meet some wackos, but <laughs> and I've met my fair share of wackos that I still don't know. <laughs> exactly right. Oh my god. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm not a big bar goer anymore. But like, um, I've met some interesting people in the bar, and especially during the artist daughter times, so I always loved playing shows and like meeting people and the other bands. You remember Petey Grimm? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh my God, they were fun. Whatever happened to them? I have no idea. Oh, there God. was. I think after after you guys after you left to California, I was playing with Modus Operandi and a couple other goth and industrial oh bands. God, Modus Operandi, I loved. What was this guy's name? I loved him. Oh, um, Adrian, and uh, Adrian and Saul. Saul, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Saul. Yeah, all of the all of those bands from our time started falling apart, and and I stopped going to Jersey, so I didn't know what was going on in Jersey. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I played there with Atomic Brother a little bit, but um, most of the bands I was playing with, like when I was playing with Pillow Theory or Modus or whatever, we were all in New York City. We were playing up in Boston. You know, we we weren't going going back in that area. So I I really don't know what happened to a lot of those guys. Yeah. I even lost touch with um, Jason from Handful of Dust. And then I've run into him in New Orleans and he's playing in another band. <laughs> he's doing something with Kelsey, actually. They're, they're, yeah. They're, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's at, at some point, there was a really cool scene in New York. And uh, tell us, so why did you leave? Like, was at some point you left New York and you were like, were you, first of all, you grew up in Brooklyn, right? No, I was born in Queens, grew up on Long Island, and then ended up living all over the city. Okay. Um, you know, Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan. Um, but what happened was I got tired of snow, really. I didn't like the weather up in the north. And um, and so I was actually looking to leave the United States to move to Australia because I love Australia. Never been, but that's never stopped me from going anywhere right. and picking up and leaving. So I was researching and researching how to go to Australia. And Nikki was like, are we doing this? I'm like, we're doing this. And then I got a call. You remember I started working in 
Austin while I was in Otto's daughter. I was going down once a couple times a year to Texas to work for a week. The company I was working for said, hey, we got an opening in our Austin office and moving to Australia wasn't working out. So me and Nikki were like, fuck it. It's hot in Austin. There's no snow except for this year. <laughs> I was going to say except this year. <laughs> so we're like, there's no ocean, but there's a river. Okay, we can deal with that. So we're like, let's do it. So a month later, we just moved down here, moved here. And that's in 11 years almost. Oh my God, it's been that long. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I, I'm very happy that I've never had, I haven't had to shovel any driveways <laughs> yeah. or, or deal with any of that stuff. Except whenever I had to come back to New York, um, I was recording with Atomic Brother still. And every time I did, it happened to a blizzard hit. So I was like, you know what? You're coming down here. I'm not going back there to record anymore. <laughs> oh my God. So you're not leaving, right? You're staying. You're staying. Well, you have a house now and everything. So yeah, we have a house, but moving is always on the table, you know, because, you know, if an opportunity arises or we just get tired of it, we'll leave, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll have to sell my store or open it somewhere else. Who knows? Yeah. But tell us about your awesome store. Well, your your store's kind of like mobile anyway, right? Not anymore. It's oh, three yeah. years we've had a an actual store. Actual store. Okay. Tell yeah. us about that. So Bloody Rose Boutique um, is a dark alternative fashion store, and like you said, it was mobile. So we bought a delivery van and converted it into a store. We had a dressing room, checkout counter, the whole thing in there. So you could shop in 80 square feet. <laughs> it's really small. So uh, I think the, the back where you could shop was like seven feet wide by 10 feet long and six and a half feet tall. So it was really small. <laughs> so, but we did that for three years almost. Um, we parked on the side of the road, we did events, you know, we, put some quarters in the meter until we got told to leave <laughs> and we sold our alter clothes on the streets and we imported stuff from all over Europe and some places here in Austin and in America <clears throat> all over America until we couldn't do it anymore the truck kept breaking down the summer got too hot we went from working 90 days a year to like 40 days so we're like it wasn't sustainable so right down the block from our house, a place opened up <clears throat> and we jumped on it, got the lease and it was really, really affordable and it still is. So it's three, was it 300, 400 square feet. So we went from 80 square feet to 400 square feet. And our first week open, I just was looking at photos because we don't have room to put a lot of our inventory anymore. We, we've run out of space to display everything. And I saw some pictures and we were like, you know, trying to make it look like we had enough to fill up the space, but we had enough to fill up a van, but not an actual store. Wow. But it's cool now, you know, our, our, we've grown so much that we have all that inventory, which is whatever to have stuff, but we have people that want to come and buy from us because, um, you know, we have a certain style and a certain aesthetic that we, we try to um, do. And basically it's, I wanted to open a store to buy clothes for myself because 
I'm not in New York anymore and I'm not going to LA as often as I used to. And that's where all my clothes came from. And Austin has a whole different style. So when I opened the store to, that fit my style, people started going, hey, that's my style too. That's my style too. That's and so now we have people from all over the world <clears throat> asking if they can be in our store. Can you sell my product? You know, can you carry us? And, you know, we can't for everybody, of course, but, but it's really cool that we've grown so much. That's amazing. That is so amazing. And you actually quit your day job that you had for a long time and went full time with the store, right? Yeah. Yeah. We were open the same as when we were with the truck. We were, the truck was only open Friday, Saturday, and Sundays. <clears throat> and um, the store starting in February this year, we went five days a week and sales are like, people are like, thank you so much for being open during the week. I can finally come and shop. Um, so we may actually go to six or seven days a week, uh, soon. That's amazing. Yeah. And then if we do that, then I can finally hire somebody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's amazing. I'm so proud of you. I think that's, you know, you're following your passion. You're just following what's, what feels right. And you, you kept your job for a long time to make sure that, you know, you got whatever you need to pay for your expenses, like taken care of and. Yeah, that, that's mind-blowing. And you're still making music. Yeah, I'm still making music. The, um, and and, and uh, it's interesting because I, I wanted us, us to talk about that because, <clears throat> um, you know, I, I think I'm really good at writing music. Lyrics, not so much. So, so uh, with my new record, I've been, I finished recording it two years ago and I still can't finish the lyrics. <clears throat> um, and I, it's really bothering me. You know, I thought I was on a roll and figured it out, but I think I'm at a point now where I figured, yeah, I need a songwriting partner. And, you know, I'd go out to, to ASCAP every year to meet with songwriters to learn how to write lyrics. <clears throat> and I ended up becoming a better music writer than a lyric writer after all that time and all that study. So now I'm like, shoot, how do you become a better lyricist? I've done all the classes and stuff and stuff won't come out of my head. But yeah, I'm always writing music, you know, whether it's orchestral style a little bit, always, almost everything comes out industrial. Yeah, <clears throat> I know that's your style, it's in black. <laughs> yeah, even if I pick up an acoustic guitar, once I start producing it, it gets twisted. <laughs> right, right. But that's cool. I think, you know, everybody has their own style. As far as lyrics, you know, I feel that when I get stuck, I just think of like, okay, if, if you and I had a conversation, I'm just telling you, you know, about, so keeping it very conversational. And then later on, I try to put metaphors in it or make it maybe a bit more poetic, whatever, you know. Um, but maybe also sometimes I think, I love that you just admitting, you're like, it's not my strength. So then it's always good to bring someone in whose strength is freaking learning writing, right? Cause then you don't have to struggle so hard at that when you're like really good at, at writing the music parts. Yeah, you know, I, I used to, I don't know if, if you see this, but um, when I hear music instrumentally, I see visuals like movies. Every music to me is a movie and tells yeah, a story. Totally. And I used to be able to put on anything. I, you know, listen back to something I was producing and go, oh, this song is telling me this story. And then I'd write out a story, kind of like a short uh, 
like a short story, just just a like four or five pages of what that story is. And then I try to turn that story into lyrics. And now lately, <clears throat> I, I've got stories, but I can't. Yeah, I got the stories, but I can't figure out how to to turn them into uh, the lyrics. It's crazy, but maybe I'll be asking you for some help. Yeah, we'll do it. <laughs> Absolutely, I love working with you. We used to have so much fun writing together. You know, it was always really fun, and of course, performing. I, I mean, I miss that part like big time. I miss the whole. We we were really um, theatrical. Mm -hmm. I always like that, you know, us. remember <laughs> Jim and I talked about that. Like, remember that CBGB show? I think it was a Halloween show and Gadget went really out and, and everybody was kind of like laughing. And then, and I never like forget Gadget's like, look, he's like, well, at least I'm trying. With, with, with this, he, he looked really funny. Like he had all this makeup on. And, yes. and then he had this really serious look like, well, at least I'm trying, you know. <laughs> You're like, what are you doing? He's just like painting and painting. Yeah. Like I used to paint myself up all silver. But when he did it all white, it, <laughs> like for me, it was like, whatever. He's just making himself silver. That's what he does. But when Gadget painted himself white, we're all like, seriously? <laughs> funny <laughs> i love your silver look that was always cool that was really cool oh yeah. my god that was so much fun remember when we went to new orleans so we were gonna that's how jim joined the band so you joined the band and then jim joined maybe like a year later then right because it was 9 11 because of 9 11 he actually joined the band right. um, he saw our ad because we had planned a little tour well actually just two days in new orleans and uh we didn't have a guitarist and then we ended up we ended up having two <laughs> jim and dan at the same time mm -hmm. separately <clears throat> but do you remember that audition with jim i barely remember that audition i you know it's funny for we never drank during rehearsals or any of that stuff it was always safe for after but I'm starting to lose a lot of that. Me too. I, I mean, Gadget will tell me things of Jim and I'm like, I don't remember that. The worst is when someone walks up to you and says, hey, I played for your band. And I'm like, you did? Because <laughs> I'm like, shit, I don't remember. I'm like, when? <laughs> oh yeah, just like a show or two. And I'm like, oh my God, what's wrong with me? Like, you know, maybe somebody slipped some acid in my drink. I don't know. <laughs> I think I sort of remember when Jim auditioned that you might have not liked him because of his hair. <laughs> no. <laughs> I thought he was so not goth because we were like totally going for the goth look. And I was like, yeah. okay, he he's tanned. <laughs> he's got a beard. He's like really so not goth. He looks like a metal guy. You know, and I'm, I'm like, no, he doesn't fit in the band. But Hamid was so blown away, Gadget was so blown away by the fact that Jim knew every part. Remember, mm -hmm. We were like, you, Jim says that you and I were always like, no, no, that's a keyboard part. No, no, that's a guitar part. You don't have to play. No, it's a vocal part. You have to play that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we were like intimidating. We didn't mean to, but <laughs> I'm like, yeah, because I was like, oh my God, you learned like everything. You learned like every part in the song. That was like crazy. Yeah. 
but yeah, he was a metal guy. We went to see his metal band and they had like, we went to his farewell performance at Connections. <clears throat> it was like a big tearjerker. Goodbye, Jim. This is his last show. <laughs> his band was so upset. <laughs> I know. <clears throat> Didn't, I don't think they even had a singer. Steve was singing, right? I think so. His then, his then guitarist. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was really funny. So we had Jim and Dan and then we just like, took off to New Orleans. And that was really funny too. <laughs> <laughs> you want to share your experience? <laughs> oh man, I'm going to get our New Orleans experiences mixed up because we did it, what, twice or three times? Well, remember like, when was the time <laughs> when they stole my um, army? That was right after 9-11 because that was okay. the funny part. We were like, we had a drummer, his name was Hamid. We had um <laughs> pyro <laughs> we had like pyro in the car in the van <laughs> and yes i we played in new orleans and somebody stole my army outfit because i would like start out with like this white sheet and then the army outfit oh yeah that's right and then it was gone and then they returned it <laughs> someone brought it back it was like so weird <laughs> That was the weekend we played for the uh, Vampire Ball at the at the Wax Museum. Yes, and, and we, we got recruited to, to be in the film. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We were in the movie together. We were like laughing our asses off the entire time. <laughs> we were like girlfriend <laughs> boyfriend. We we're like trying to like pretend like we're kissing or something. We we're like. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that the, the the thing about playing in New Orleans, and and I I think I'd already been to New Orleans once before. I can't remember. My timelines are all. I know, wrong. I know. But playing in the Wax Museum was like, what? <laughs> but the Vampire's Ball, which is like crazy big and huge now, and in some really <clears throat> extravagant places, yeah. was in the little ballroom inside the Wax Museum that year. <clears throat> And yeah, we were just like, okay, this is cool. And it just turned out to be a really, really a big blast. And then that gig in Metairie, just that, down the street the day or so before. Yes, that was great. Mm -hmm. Except when Jim told everybody that he didn't play. <laughs> and I'm like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, New Orleans was great for us. We, you know, we, that one time we were there, that first weekend was like a huge boost to the, to our fan base, mm -hmm. you know, we had to go back down, you know. And it's not often you go to a city and play to a small crowd and then go back a second time and it's a huge crowd. Yeah. <clears throat> like, you know, when we went to Boston, it was like, okay, we played Boston, great. If we went back to Boston, it was gonna be another so-so eh, crowd. But going back to New Orleans that second time was like, oh fuck, people like us here. <laughs> I know. You know, I, I would always tell any band that um, the biggest mistake we I think we've done as a band in my entire lifespan of Otto's Daughter, like especially coming out to LA too, like when we went on, on the tour all over the US, is that when you go out on a tour, it's like all or nothing. You have to keep going because if we would have rotated, right, like if we would have gone back like a month later, like you said, it would have like grown and you go to all the places that people really like you. You know, because then if you know, okay, Manhattan is oversaturated. But then if you play only once every three months, 
right? Then you'd be like, holy shit, you know? It, it would be huge. But right. we, played, we played a lot of places, like the Spiral Lounge, we played Continental. Like we, I mean, even back in the day, we had to have like, what, four weeks in between a show in the city, right? Something like that. I don't quite remember. Yeah. <clears throat> but um, man, it was so, so much fun. And, and being able to play CBGBs, I feel like that is... I'm, I'm really proud of that, you know? Yeah, I, I got to play CBs the night before they closed when I was playing with King Hell. Oh, wow. And that was, um, we all kind of cried a little bit that because, you know, I had played there a million times before Otto's Daughter, a million times with Otto's Daughter and a million times after. But King Hell, they came from Boston. They moved to, to New York and they, built a home in, in CBGB's because it felt like some places they used to play in Boston. And whenever we played there, we had such a really great reception. We, we did a night with um, Jane County we played and Jane County is such a sweetheart. <clears throat> and um, the last night at CBGB's we we're all like, wow, this is like, you know, it's, it feels like, you know, we're beginning getting kicked out of our house. You know, yeah. We're gonna be homeless after tonight. And then, you know, the next night on the night the, the, the gig, the, the CBs closed, a lot of the guys in the band went down there just to say goodbye. And it was, yeah, it, you know, it's CBGBs was like a home to, to a lot of people. You know, I feel like that was one of those few places that was so freaking rock and roll. Like the, I, we, we always joke, right? We're like, if you, if you peel out one sticker, the whole thing falls. <laughs> like <laughs> don't touch anything because there was it was like so fresh I was like holes on the, in the on the stage and stuff you know but it was one of those places that was so iconic and it was like so rock and roll because a lot of places I don't I don't, I don't know about Austin but a lot of places in LA um like the whiskey like the doors they they painted like they they wrote stuff on the wall and they painted over it mm -hmm. <laughs> why do you do that that's like history you know that's yeah. like legends and you're just thinking yeah. over it there's there's a couple places like that here but it's a, a lot of the um the historical places like i don't even know there was a place called emos that i that it was here it's a big one of those big cavernous warehouse clubs now but it used to be a like it was effectively Austin CBGBs. Yeah. It was a rat hole, disgusting mess, but it had so many years of rock and roll history. And, you know, if anybody wrote on the walls, they didn't care. Yeah. But then there was these other places that were in what they call in the downtown area <clears throat> where the tourists go. And that has to be kept, kept clean. You have to, you know, Wipe, wipe down the vomit, paint it every couple of days, yeah. whatever. But yeah, Austin really doesn't have a lot of that. There was a place called the Liberty Lunch, which I never got to see, which every band that ever influenced any other band has ever played. You know, people like, oh, you should have seen that place. And it was CBGBs before, um, you know, the CBGBs of Austin before Emos, I guess. Um, but yeah, it, you it's it's weird how how clubs would do that i played a place in monaco and whenever 
a band came through, they asked you to sign the wall. So, and when I played at this club, I'm like, are you sure you want me to sign the wall? Prince's name is right there. Hathaway's name is right there. And this guy's name is here. They're like, yeah, you're playing here, right? Put your name on the wall. I'm like, okay. I love that. That is so freaking cool. One of the things that was cool um, with John Varvados, his store that took over CB space, every time I go back to New York, I visit John Varvados. I know I'm not going to buy anything because I can't afford it. And I don't like that. But I always look for our Otto's Daughter stickers. And I found a poster from one of my bands that played there in the 90s is still on the wall there. And it's in a frame. And I'm like, wow, I'm still on the wall in CBGB's. That is I'm, so awesome. There's still still have, your, your old band and the Otto's Daughter sticker? Um, I still haven't found the Otto's Daughter, but I know wow. where they are because there is a there is actually a book of CBGB's and there's an Otto's Daughter sticker in one of the pictures in the book. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it's like on the bottom of the stage, there's a, there's a monitor and there's an Otto's Daughter sticker <laughs> in the bottom corner of the picture. Oh and, my God. That, yeah, that was one of the best memories, I think, um, because that was a big deal. You had to audition to play there. You know, it was not like, I feel in LA, you can play anywhere. If you have money and you yeah. sell tickets, you can play. People always say, oh, you played the whiskey, which is, I guess, cool, you know, but I mean, honestly, anybody can play the whiskey, you know, mm -hmm. it's no, it's really no big deal. But TVGBs, I feel like you had to earn it. Like you, you get like, first they scan your music and then like, okay, you pass the first test and now play a show, a, a test show. And then if we like you, that was like on a Sunday, right? Sunday was like audition. Monday nights. Oh, Monday nights. And Monday then night. if they liked you, they like, okay, now you can get a better day or something like that. Yep. Yeah, that was really, really cool. And the people were all really cool too. I, I really loved that place. That was yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah, did we play Arlene's Grocery? I, I know I played it a lot. I think we did a release party there once, no? Maybe. See, I can't remember because I played it with so many bands and so many clubs, but. The only thing I remember is because I think I remember because Shelly was there to take pictures with her brother. And I was wearing like a corset and like some certain things. See, certain things I totally remember. I'm like, and I think it was Arlene's. Um, I still can't remember the other place that um, Night Bob, Jim. Oh, oh Don Hills. Don Hills. We played that place once. And we opened yeah. for a band that was just got signed to some label. They were really, really good. Remember, they had like a label showcase before. They played before us. Mm -hmm. um, I don't remember the name of the band, um, but we played like some pretty big bands, you know, um, at the time. Yeah. Um, not, not Theory of a Deadman, but the other band. Oh crap. I can't remember that. I know, I know what you're talking about. I remember theory of a dead man was at the uh, strip club in Jersey, <clears throat> the shark bar. We played that. Oh, we played that, didn't we? We played there a lot. <laughs> oh, that was theory of a dead man. We played. Yeah. We played with them. Yeah. That was in Jersey <clears throat> before they got, um, we had seen the pictures of them and they were like all, they all looked like Jim basically. And then yeah. when we played with them, the record label cleaned them up and they were in suits and ties. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love the labels. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, see, I, I hardly remember that with the strip club. I, yeah, there was like, 
so many places that we played like that I hardly remember like yeah the guy from uh DHA was always trying to get always got us in at the shark bar um I forget his name but he was in the band Ra um and he was a DJ at night and he would always be working at the uh, shark bar when we played right oh shit see that that, that I, I now that you say it I'm like oh yeah that's right I almost forgot about that we played so many. That, that, that was like a really Carfax Abbey. We played with them a bunch of time. We went to New Orleans with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was oh, a great trip. Fun. And then um, what was the band from Philly? Philly had all these. They all had that specific sound, but they had like really good bands there. Mm -hmm. Tapping the Vein was Tapping the big the Vein. Play. Yeah, they were so good too. Yep. That was always fun playing with those guys. That was great. And then Hate in the Box. Yeah. Yeah, I just, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Rainbow, who's yeah. now going by the name Rose Thorne. Oh. <laughs> she just played my Nosferatu festival, which was really cool. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, with her new band, Cut Like This. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's a circus performer now. How crazy okay, is yeah. that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Her and her husband, yeah. It's yeah. crazy, yeah. They're insane. They're yeah. so talented. <laughs> so talented. I was blown away. I was like, holy shit. Like, it's... Pretty impressive, you know. Tell mm -hmm. us about the Nosferatu Festival. Well, what is that all about? So Nosferatu Festival um, so is a festival that is dedicated to the movie Nosferatu from W.F. Murnau from 1922. So um, I'm friends with a guy who does a magazine called Gore Noir Magazine. It's a horror culture magazine. So he asked me to help him organize this festival. Um, so two years ago, or was it three years ago already, <clears throat> we put together a small event in Austin in a brewery and at a club. So we did three days of burlesque, drag, bands, and vendors all had to be vampire and horror themed. So it was horror. And you know, until I moved to Austin, I didn't know you know, I knew what the New York drag scene was like. It was all glam, but here, the glam, the drag scene is all horror. Ooh! So our first year, we had all these performers doing um, Dracula and Frankenstein acts, and like all, all sorts of things. And the burlesque is horror themed here too. So it was a really good fit for Gordon Warner Magazine to to put it on here. So the first year was really small and really uncomfortable in the brewery. Then we grew to a bigger venue last year. We had three days of bands and we had a, we did circus or like carnival themed um, events so that people could play games outside. Then we had all sorts of crazy stuff. This year was supposed to be two, two cities. We were gonna have an event in Vegas and an event in Austin, but coronavirus. So we did it all online. So because it was online, I reached out to, my job was to book the bands and his job was to book the, the all the other performers. <clears throat> I got bands from all over the world that were in, that were horror rock bands, horror goth, horror punk, horror metal. And it was amazing to find out that like the burlesque scene and the drag scene, 
there are so many bands that are like pop music, but dedicated to writing lyrics in about vampires. Go figure. So we had this like band that was a folk punk country band from Germany called Circus Rhapsody, recorded a live set of music for us, a, a punk metal band from Gothenburg, Sweden recorded a live set for us. Um, Cut Like This recorded a top five vampires, best vampire movies ever segment and gave us some music videos. The band Calabrese gave us 11 music videos. All these people were like, we love the idea of your festival. Yeah. We wanna be part of it live next year. And virtually uh, everybody either provided music videos or live performances. Um, a, a goth singer from Italy, she recorded um, over live track, over recorded tracks, she performed live in her studio and sent us tracks to play. So it's, it's just all about vampire culture and it's not restricted to goth. It's like all the different yeah. things that bring horror people together. Oh, I love that. Did you perform too? No, because I'm not a horror act. <laughs> so my band was, even though my music video from, from my last record is a horror video, um, the band is not horror themed. So I was qualified from playing my own festival. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That is such a cool idea though. I love that. Yeah. It's so fun. It's so fun. Man, it's so good to catch up with you. Like, <laughs> I know there's so much we left out because there's so many stories that we probably have to like dig and dig and dig. Um, tell us just like one of your favorite, maybe like Dan moments and, and, and gadget moments and gym moments <laughs> and maybe with me, I don't know. <laughs> Oh if you have any, I don't want to put the Tony on the spot, but. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, it's weird. It's like, I don't know if I have a favorite Dan moment because mostly Dan and I got along, not like we, we didn't, it's not like we didn't get along. We all got along really good in the band, but um, I we had our little, clicks you not you and i and jim and gadget and uh but but yet i think dan and i clicked the most on stage it's like you know whenever we played it, there was a thing between us like you know we could just like goof around and looks really serious we like you know i i do remember there was a time in philadelphia <laughs> uh, i forget the name of that bar we played but i think you were like Guys, quit it, quit it. <laughs> like, me and him were just like doing like kiss moves and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yes, I'm like, what the hell are you guys doing? <laughs> you, got, you were like, stop it. <laughs> I get serious. But me and Dan would goof around like that all the time on stage. He was a goofball. Yes. The funny, I'm going to hold your thought because I have to tell you like what just popped in my head. The funniest thing with Dan was always like, <laughs> we play the show we go into the crowd we mingle and you know network whatever and Dan would always be like as always nobody recognizes me you <laughs> 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 say great set Sebastian great, great set 
Jim and nobody would say anything to Danny, would just go past him, like, as always, they don't know that I, I'm in the band. Nobody knows I was playing. <laughs> I was just on stage. <laughs> I always felt so bad. Nobody kind of like, I guess nobody recognized him or like, <laughs> remember why he wanted to play with spy society and with empire hideous so much <laughs> oh my god that was yeah okay <clears throat> that's my funny dance story <laughs> besides talking in the van remember that he would just like talk and talk and then jim had his headphones on and you were doing your thing and i'm falling asleep and he's like ah, nobody's listening to me as always <laughs> <laughs> I remember I would bring, whenever we did the long road trips, I was thankful for my day job that gave me a laptop so we could watch movies <laughs> while we drove anywhere. Like, sorry, we're watching a movie back here. Then <laughs> <laughs> we'll just go off like on top and talk and talk. <laughs> and it's like L, he was like taking pictures and helping us sometimes. L's like sitting there sleeping, drooling. I'm like, yeah, that's so gross. <laughs> <laughs> then it's like oh, I'm just talking to myself as always nobody pays attention <laughs> oh. oh poor Dan yeah <laughs> 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 how about Gadget Gadget or Jim's story oh my goodness so I think I'd have to roll up Gadget and you into one, so me and you have way too many experiences and things that um, either in the band or out of the band. But that night, the three of us watched Brazil, every version of it. So I had bought Brazil or rented Brazil in the director's cut, the um, this movie cut, the, the theatrical release, and the television version, and the three of us watched all three versions in the same night, right back to back. We were like laughing our asses off the whole time. We're like, why are we doing this? Where was that? <laughs> this was at your apartment. <laughs> this was in, in Jersey. Jersey City. Oh yeah. my god, I remember that. It was like, I forget it was like six hours. Uh, we just watched the same movie over and over again. Oh my God. <laughs> and I think we had a lot of wine. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but I was like, you know, you know, every time I, I put on Brazil now, you know, Nikki's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you watch this without his daughter. <laughs> I'm like, I don't say that every time. She's like, it enough that I'm saying it for you. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah, because we would, do, you know, we had all those inside jokes, the, the three of us with the movies, whether it's the Monty Python stuff that we'd always do. <laughs> the, the, the penguins on the television, that was my favorite <laughs> ever, ever. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> I'd be like, how I many, can, can put that on? Like, I need, I need some, I need to laugh. And then, oh my God, I would like be on the floor laughing my ass off. It was just so funny. Like at the re at rehearsal, they're like being all serious, and you're like, "There's a penguin on the television." <laughs> <laughs> like totally break the ice. 
And now for something completely different. <laughs> oh my God. Mm. Your fun gym story. Oh man. I don't know if I have a fun gym story. He was always so serious. (laughs) (laughs) He was always like the, like our dad. (laughs) And it's funny because I think he's the same age as us, but he always came off as like, he was a goofball first. He, but he was always like a serious goofball. And I think I'm, I come off very serious all the time too, but I was like, man, this guy out serious is me. <laughs> it's a Brooklyn thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a Brooklyn thing. Oh my God. Guy. <clears throat> but, were, you, were you there when we drove, we, we had, so you, we had, um, it, not a trailer, what do you call it? Uh, a little in the back. Without oh, when we broke down in Philadelphia at the at, zoo? At the zoo. And then Jim was like dancing on top of the thing. I was in the crew that had to go back and get help. Oh. <laughs> so I missed all of that. Oh, yeah. I missed all that, too. I was just told later on because I was already at Kyle Cassidy's. So, house. yeah, me and you went back to Kyle's. <laughs> we had to do photos. We were doing photos. <laughs> they like, broke it down and we're like taking pictures. <laughs> we're like... <laughs> yeah, of course the two prima donnas are out <laughs> we were kind of the prima donnas were we not yeah they're like oh these two they care about how they look more than anything like well, well no we care about the music first and then fashion second <laughs> but we did care about it we we took it serious yeah. except the one time when we were all like laughing our asses off because you love that hat so much we talked about like <laughs> and we're like you had your hat on and we're like Sebastian, lose the hat. And you're like, you know what? You're going to fuck yourself. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, whoa, okay. <laughs> you're like, no, I like that hat. <laughs> you don't go fuck yourself. So. Like, okay. The hat stays on. <laughs> oh, shoot. That was so fucking funny. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's way too many there's way too many stories to to put, fit it all in one in one mm-hmm. uh, episode. We have to do that again. Maybe I maybe I'll bring on like Gadget and Jim, you know, and Dan, mm-hmm. and then we could all have a chat. That'd be so funny. Like just <laughs> you know, that would be fun. Rehash <laughs> some <laughs> shit from back in the day. <laughs> but you know, the funny thing is to like after so we went to LA and then you stayed in, in New York and um whenever we play like showgirl nobody could ever quite play that bass line the way you play it it was like so funny like i'm like nobody can do it mm-hmm. exactly whatever you did there you know it was yeah, like i i always found that weird and when i met <clears throat> i met the the bass player because um i think uh, did he come out to when i i played out in la with moto star i forget if i know you and gadget came out but I forget if your bass player came. But I remember saying, I'm meeting him once, and I was like, "Dude, I'll just I'll show you how it's how it's played." He's like, "No, no, I play it my own way." <laughs> like, I know, like it's it's a pride. Like, I got I got this, I got this. But it was so, so funny because you know, me and Gadget, we like really we loved what what he did, and we're like, mm, "It's not quite it," you know. And it's you you try to I understand if somebody else joins a band, you know, they want to put their own 
not change a song, but they want to put their own flavor, you know, the, but we were always like, oh, oh. it's not the same. <laughs> yeah. Know? Well, you got, I got a fair amount of that when I joined the band, because you were like, well, this is not the way it's on the record. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, I learned it the way the record is, and I played it the way the record is. Now I think it's time for a little bit of improv or whatever, and, and it, just the little changes here and there. But certain things, yeah, you you were set. Like, no, this song you play note for note. I don't care about the other one. Do what you want. But this, you got to play this way. This one, you got to play this way. And if you can't, the sampler will do it. <laughs> there, there were definitely some things where we were like, really, you know, I mean, looking back now, I'm like, man, we were like kind of uh, very strict <laughs> in certain areas. But we were, I think it was like, you know, you, you get married. Now I, I'm totally different, you know, but, but back in the day, I remember like, wow, <laughs> it's okay for someone else to make it slightly, it doesn't have to be the exact way it is on the record, you know? Um, and also, I mean, we learned so much. We started out knowing pretty much nothing, you know, we were just like, we didn't know how to record or produce, but we did it anyway, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. <clears throat> listening back, I'm like, whoa, <laughs> how did people like that? <laughs> but, I, you know, yeah. I still like those records, you know, even Void of Courses are still a fun record. It is, you know, it is. You know, the production may not be, you know, Rammstein or whatever, but it's, it doesn't sound like a dated record and it doesn't sound like a demo. It sounds like, you know, a really good industrial rock band. Like, yeah. um, and it, it could be, it's punk enough that it could be from the eighties or the nineties or the two thousands, yeah. you know, you know, that first Otto's daughter record is really, really good. I, I enjoy listening to that as a fan. And then the one, and then when the record I did with you guys renew, <clears throat> that is a more polished, more produced sound, especially when we started working with uh, Neil on that. <clears throat> you know, it sounded polished enough, you know, just with me, you and Hamid or Gadget um, producing it. But then when Neil got his hands on it and then put it that special sauce, <laughs> yeah, another well, level of pro. For anyone who doesn't know, Neil, Neil Kernan, um, he was um, the producer for a lot of metal bands actually but we we really loved him and his work and we went out to el paso to have him work on that that was a new right neil kernan yeah neil kernan yeah and uh, that was an amazing experience and remember like so he didn't have it mastered and we didn't know and so we're all in the car after we dropped some money and you know time and we're driving back in the van and we listened to the album and I'm like, oh my God, this sounds horrible. <laughs> and then Gadget was like, wow, cause it's not mastered. I didn't realize that, you know, mm -hmm. I didn't know. It was like, oh, that makes that yeah. much of a difference. Like he mixed it to be mastered and we didn't know, I didn't know that. I was like yeah. so bummed. I was like, oh my God, this sounds horrible. Gadget, you have to <laughs> remix everything. <laughs> And I think he tweaked a few things anyway, but I don't remember quite, but like, yeah, that was, that was pretty, um, pretty interesting, but it was a great experience. Yeah. That was a really great experience. And it was really fun to like, I think that's the way, you know, when you work with producers, that's the best way to learn, you know, mm -hmm. when people are like too cheap to pay someone, I'm like, that's the best school you could ever get. Right. So there's, um, 
every year South by Southwest has a has something called a panel uh, panel picker where you can nominate yourself to do a panel. And every year I want to do something uh, called um, uh, semi homemade. So uh, one of the things in Austin and around around the world is people want to produce their own records and that's great. But there's a point you get to where you have to ask for help. You know, like I need help with the lyrics. Okay, so I need a team. But in this bedroom that is my recording studio, there's only so much I can do and, you know, and only so good I can make something sound. So I've learned over the years, you know, working with you, working with all the different bands that we got to ask for help somewhere and we have to pay for that help every now and then. So, you know, my idea is to put a panel together of all these people and say, look, you don't have to do it all on your own. You don't have to um, sweat mixing a record because if you can record all of your band yourself, great, you've saved 80% of the cost. Go get a professional mix. Why not? And then run it through a mastering plugin, you know, because it's going to, it'll save you the headaches and the heartaches of, you know, well, I'm not a good mixer. Why did my thing come out crap and I can never get it done? You know, and here I've, I, I, I have a team of people that I work with when I do a record. I have a studio I work out of when I need drums because I can program drums, but it doesn't sound like a real drummer. So I have drummers from all over the world that I'll have record or I'll go out to a place near the airport here in Austin and have a drummer record and then finish all the tracks here and then go back to that studio and mix because I love the way this guy mixes. You know, uh, I go out to Mesa, Mesa Recordings and I camp out for days mixing the record. And then mastering, not a mastering engineer, sorry. And I don't like the way plugins sound to make to master. So it's up to New York to get my thing mastered. But, you know, there's, you know, there's, you know, you know how it is. You, there's a difference between a professional sounding record and a demo. <clears throat> and, you know, if you want that, you have to start asking for that help. And you reach out to people like Neil and you go to those professional people that have those, that, those chops to get your record done. Totally agree. I totally agree. I think that's one of the main reasons I ended up just doing mostly electronic music because it's easier. I don't mm -hmm. have to, it was like, but so, once there's guitars and real bass, that's to me, that's so hard. That's not, I can't really, you know, it, 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 it feels like a struggle. Well, I'm like, oh my God, like does electronic music I can because it's already sounding good out of the box kind of sort of, you know, it's to me, I feel it's easier, but I totally agree with you. Um, know your strengths and ask for help because at the end of the day, man, it's your work and right. you want to shine and sound good and not, and be compatible with other people versus just like, Oh, this is professional. This is crap <laughs> or be really crappy on purpose. <laughs> right. Yeah, like there's the the sound the sound the sonic spectrum is only so wide, yeah. and a drum kit takes up all of it. <clears throat> so all right, it takes this much. The guitar takes this much, and you gotta make room. And like you said, if you're doing electronic music, you can pick your sounds that are already out of the way, that and it oh and it'll kind of come together. Mm -hmm. You can screw yourself and pick sounds that 
are in each other's way and make it really damp and muddy, but it's easier to say, oh, let me just <laughs> flip yeah. over to a different sound and it totally. still sounds cool. Totally. Oh my God, at some point, man, we have to like do like a little reunion <laughs> <laughs> or form a little punk band or something. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> some real instruments. We'll have to come by Austin, you know? But um, man, thank you so much for, for your time. And we have to do this again with, with the rest of the gang. <laughs> thank you for having me. Of course. Talk to you. Oh, so good. I, I miss you because like, you know, we've been like, we always bonded. Like it's always been great fun, you know, hanging out and creating and just shooting the shit. Where can people find you? And where can people find your music? Um, all the things you do in your store. I'm going to link all that in the description below. But if you want to also tell people where they can find you, reach out, you know. Okay. So um, at sasebastian.com is my hub for today. It's my hub for everything, music and the, and the store. Yeah, any, a lot of that. Um, Bloody Rose Boutique is .com is where you can find my store. Afflictedbydesign.com is where you can find my industrial band. Um, but yeah, soon, uh, sasebastian.com is going to change into the hub for all my creative stuff. So, um, I'm venturing off into photography. I'm starting to get into more into design work. So that'll be a hub where you can find anything I'm going to do in the future, whatever.com I have, you can find it from there. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Cool. Any last advice for any musician out there? <laughs> Bands? <laughs> Oh man, advice for bands, uh, stick with it. You know, if you have to have a day job, have a day job, don't let it bring you down. Um, just make sure you like, my day job turned into a career accidentally and I became good at it, but I still treated it as if it was my day job and I could leave it any minute because of my music. And like we talked about earlier, I finally was able to leave my day job um, so as long as you keep at it and keep working, you know, your day job is going to become something secondary to your, to you, whatever it is you're doing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And we'll stay in touch and, um, I'll send people your way. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. We'll talk very soon. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. As always, thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I know there's so many other things you could be doing with your time. There's so many things out there. So I appreciate you tuning in and I hope you liked it. If you liked it, subscribe, share with your friends. And these special episodes with Otto's daughter, at the end of this episode, you will hear an Otto's daughter song and also a link to where you can get our songs if you're interested. Um, from the very first album to the last album we did. And, you know, if you have any requests, let me know. There will be many, many more podcasts um, with the band. Uh, this is just the beginning. There's so many, so many stories to talk about and so many other people to bring on to share their point of view and their little time or big, longer time they were in the band, depending. <laughs> um, but I hope you like this. Again, spread the word. Thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, my sun protective shawl is available at jackvanb.com. So make sure you check that out if you would like 
some protection or stay cozy on the cooler summer spring evenings and with that said have an amazing rest of the week a great weekend and i'll see you next friday thanks guys Tits and tasses, strings and dances, small talk Barbie.